We're going to start in Isaiah chapter 2 this morning, verse 3. Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Zion is a little pimple of a hill in Jerusalem where the temple and David's palace was built, and it was called the stronghold of Zion because it was a fortress, and it encompasses the wall of the stronghold of Zion, encompasses the Gihon Spring, which is a massive underground spring that flows continually, and it provided uh, a life source when Jerusalem was under attack. They would always have cold, pure, clean water to drink, but Zion is the name of the hill and the temple palace complex on top of it. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and the house of the God of Jacob. That's the same thing because the temple was on top of the hill and they're both part of Zion, okay? All right, Isaiah chapter 8 says, the Lord of hosts dwells on Mount Zion. So is that talking about the earthly temple or the heavenly temple? Yes. Yes, there's a Mount Zion, a spiritual Mount Zion in heaven, just like there's a spiritual temple. Hebrews spends a couple of chapters writing about that the earthly is the model or the example or how we are to imagine the heavenly. And in Revelation 14, John is looking into heaven and he sees, I looked, there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. He's looking into heaven. There's a mountain in heaven, the mountain of the Lord. It's also called his holy hill, Mount Zion. It's a big mountain. John sees it come down out of heaven onto earth in Revelation, and it is 1,400 miles tall. Mount Everest is six miles tall. The heavenly mountain is 1,400 miles tall. That's big. It's a big mountain. There is an earthly Mount Zion, but it's nothing. But God says... In that day, the great and mighty day of the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord, I will exalt my holy hill, my mountain, above all the mountains of the earth. And John sees that happen in his revelation, his vision of what's, what's coming after the return of Jesus, that God's holy mountain comes out, heaven comes down to earth, and it comes as a mountain. And, but the mountain is a city. There's people living all on this mountain. It is the city, the new Jerusalem. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to paint this picture. I wish I had time to give you a Bible reference for everything I'm about to say, but I, I don't. I can't. But everything is in Scripture. I just want to paint this picture. I want you to imagine, to visualize what God's mountain looks like. So there is a very, very tall mountain called Mount Zion in heaven. God calls it my holy hill or my mountain, the mountain of the Lord. All of those are scriptural. It is 1,400 miles tall, John says. It's also known as the city of God. It is a city that is a mountain. For those of you who know what I'm talking about, it's like Gondor. It's the city that is the mountain. The, the city that's built on a mountain. It's the new Jerusalem of heaven. It has walls of diamond and sapphire and emerald and gates of pearl and each level 
each layer of the mountain is ascending levels of holiness and beauty and glory. And the entire mountain is also called the Garden of the Lord. It's a mountain that is a city, but it's covered with a garden. It is what the Garden of Eden was before Adam and Eve sinned. There are colors and fragrances and beauty there that is alive. It's beauty that overwhelms and renews, and the beauty actually ministers eternal life to everybody that lives there. The water in the garden is alive. The flowers and the plants and the animals are conscious. The Bible says the trees and the flowers clap their hands and sing to the Lord. They're not just alive in an earthly sense, they are conscious. And that the animals are conscious in this garden. So picture a mountain that is covered in green and is a city that is a garden that is a mountain. At the top of the mountain, God says, is his tabernacle or temple. Both words are used interchangeably. God's tabernacle, his home, his temple, has a roof of stars. He lives under a tent of stars. There's a temple there, a building that Hebrews describes and lots of Old Testament passages. Isaiah calls it a fortress of rock. But the New Testament says those rocks are alive. Living stones. The building is alive and holy and conscious. In the middle of this garden at the top of the mountain is the temple of God, what the Old Testament calls the stronghold of Zion. And in that temple is the throne room. It's an arena large enough to seat every person that's ever lived. The environment is music and colors and incense fragrances and songs the beauty and like of which we cannot imagine. There's a rainbow dome over a throne in the middle of the arena, surrounded by a sea of crystal clear, liquid, golden glass around and under the throne. And there are angels and cherubim and seraphim and people, billions of people. And on the throne in the middle of all that is a living flame of love, the holy burning one, the God of Israel, the Father of lights. And beside him at his right hand is the Lamb, looking as if he had been slain. Jesus Christ is seated on the throne. A human man is on the throne next to the Father. A man dressed in shimmering white with eyes of fire and hands and feet that glow like the heat of molten metal. And he has a voice like a thundering waterfall. And day and night, there's non-stop cheering and singing and shouting and applause and adoration and worship and praise and dance with more force and intensity than we can imagine and it shakes the doorposts of the universe that is going on right now and has been since the beginning of time and we will join that. Angels and cherubim and humans, the redeemed of every nation, tongue, and tribe, and if we could see even one of those people, 
who are the lesser beings of heaven, we would fall on our face in fear and attempt to worship them. Because John did two times. The humans in heaven are so godlike that John, who knew Jesus, attempted to worship them. And from under that throne comes a fountain. And a river flows out of that fountain. John saw it as living water. Daniel saw it as fire. Which one is it? Well, it's both. Not mixed, it's both at the same time. It's fire and water. It's love and wrath. It's the Shekinah glory of God that flows from his heart, from his innermost being. It comes from the throne of mercy and the throne of judgment. A river flows out from the heart of God. It is the Holy Spirit that is poured out on all flesh. It is the river of wine of the blood of Jesus that is poured out upon the earth. That river, John says in Revelation, that river flows under the tree of life, and the tree of life sucks up the life of that river and bears fruit for eternal life for all the nations and everyone who's in heaven. That tree is Jesus. He's the one who bears the fruit of life that we eat and live forever. It's a river of fiery love and life and power and wrath, and it cascades out of the throne room and down that mountain. The river flows down the side of the mountain, through the garden, through the city, and everyone there drinks from that river and gets very, very glad. <laughs> Eventually, all rivers have to end somewhere. Eventually, that river drops off onto the earth, onto all flesh. Joel and Acts, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then it continues to run and it drops off where Jesus said there is a chasm between heaven and hell. And 2 Thessalonians 1 says the fire of hell is the glory of God. That river ends in a lake. You can open your eyes. Hebrews 12 will be on the screen. You have not come to a physical mountain as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. Is that what I just described? Yeah, it's the mountain that is the city, the new Jerusalem. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the blood. Amen. That is the Bible's description of what eternity is. That's, that's the description of, and I know that we're, none of us are imagining it correctly. God says we can't. He says it hasn't even entered our mind. But he does tell us what it is. He tells us what it looks like and what it will be. And there it is. It is the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly mountain of God, the city of the living God. I want to go there. Hopefully you do too. So Hebrews says you have come. When you come to Christ, you have come to Jesus. You've come to his environment. You have come to his kingdom. You have come to where he rules from, and that's his mountain. 
So, how do we get there? My ultimate point this morning is to give you the map so you can find that mountain so that you can end up there. Because the only other uh, option is a lakeside cabin at the other lake. You don't want to end up there. You can go down the flow of the river or you can go up the river and you can find the mountain. So how do we end up where God's mountain is? How do we end up where God is? How, how do we find that environment and that place? Well, three times God tells us. And you just sang that question in the second song that we sang. We could have the next verses, Psalm 24, verses 3 to 5. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can climb that mountain? Who qualifies to arrive at the top? Who may stand in his holy place? The answer is, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol, or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God as Savior. Clean hands and a pure heart. Psalm 15 asks the same question. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless. Well, that rules me out. And I'll bet most all of you too. He whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous... It just don't make that a religious word. It's just who does what is right. Who speaks the truth from his heart. Not just speaks the truth with your mouth, but you think the truth in your heart. You're not spinning things, planning things. How can I say this? How can I get out of this? How can I get what I want out of this conversation or this decision? I speak the truth in my heart. Who speaks the truth from his heart, who has no slander on his tongue, who does his friend no wrong. Well, you think, well, yeah, I'm good to my friends. Uh, I, just, well, I just want to bring out what this says here. What that phrase says in Hebrew is, the people who do you good, you do them no wrong. You've never betrayed anybody. You've never used anybody. Who was good to you, and then you did something selfish at their cost. Who does his friend no wrong, who does not speak evil of his neighbor. Of course, that means not saying wrong things or lying, but it includes gossip. Who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord. Does that surprise you that that's on the list? That you have to despise evil people? I thought we were supposed to love everybody. Yep. And you're also, at the same time, supposed to despise the wicked. If you don't hate eat wicked people, you're not on the Lord's side. Well, what does that mean if we're supposed to love everybody? Well, it means that you hate what they do, and you oppose what they do, and you stand against what they do. Well, I don't know, Mitch. I don't think I should despise anybody. God says this is who qualifies to live with me because he despises the wicked. 
This is not an excuse to be hateful or mean, but one way it applies, I'm sure it applies lots of different ways, but one way it applies is a lot of you let a lot of despicable people into your house through your screens. And not only are you not despising them, you are entertained by them. Both the actors and the characters. I've never seen a single episode, but I gather that most of the people, characters on Game of Thrones are despicable, but you don't despise them. You let them in your house. We'll just leave that there. (laughs) You can pick it up if you want. Who despises a vile person. You are entertained. You allow people in your house that you would never really allow in your house. You are entertained by things that you personally would never think of doing, but you watch people do them. And you don't despise it. God says you must despise a vile person if you want to be with me. You have nothing to do with it. Just leave that right there. But who honors those who fear the Lord. Not just in public and not just for flattery, but you really, truly honor godly people, the family of God. You want to live in that city with those who fear the Lord. The question is, who can climb that mountain? Who can ascend the holy hill? The one who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord. Who keeps his oath even when it hurts. New King James says, who swears to his own hurt. It doesn't mean we have to promise things on purpose knowing it's going to hurt. But if you say something, you do it no matter what it costs. This Old Testament, they swore oaths. Jesus said, don't swear oaths, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say you will do something and then something else comes up later then you would like to get out of what you first committed to, this person, God says, if you want to live in my hill, you keep your word. You do what you said you would do even if it hurts. Even if the situation changes and later, I'm not talking about sin, but you do what you said you would do. Even if it's going to cost you money or time or you're going to miss out on something you would rather do later. Who keeps his oath even when it hurts. That's the character of the person who lives on the holy mountain. Are you with me? Who lends his money without interest and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm free on that one because I don't have any money to lend. (laughs) And maybe you don't. (laughs) Uh, and, And I've never accepted a bribe. Have you ever made a decision based on money? If you have to consult the cost or what you will receive from it before you would do it, then money is your God and not Jesus. Chris Valentin says, anything you have to consult before you obey God is your real God. If you have to consult your wallet or whatever else activity you're in or whatever else commitments or if you have to consult anything before you would obey God, that thing is your God. So yeah, I know you're not accepting bribes because you're not a senator or a judge. 
I really didn't mean that to be funny, but uh, I know you're not taking bribes, but what is a bribe? It's, it's money that meant to make you make a decision. So any decision you make based on what will this cost me or what will I receive from it, rather than what is right to do. It's basically a bribe. So maybe we're not off the hook on that one after all. He who does these things will never be shaken. It's a good list. It's a tough list. Disqualifies me. But it is a good list. Isaiah, chapter 33, Isaiah asks the same question. And he asks it through someone else's voice. He says, The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the hypocrites. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? Who is the consuming fire? It's our God. Where are these sinners? They're in Zion. The people of the world are not hypocrites because they're not claiming to be Christians and then living opposite. It's the people who claim to be God's people and then live the opposite that are sinners in Zion, that are the hypocrites. People of the world are not hypocrites. They're not liars. They're just doing their thing doing what's normal. It's the people who claim to be Christians and then are living the same way as the world who are the hypocrites in Zion. And Isaiah says they are terrified. Who can dwell with consuming fire? Who can live with everlasting burnings? They're on the mountain, but the mountain's on fire. It is the holy fire of God, but it's consuming them because they are hypocrites. The same river that we love to drink from and brings life to those who are holy, it makes the hypocrites burn. And they feel it as heat. Hello? A uh, former pastor from Western Oregon who's now um, passed away and is with the Lord, his name is Henry Gruber, he had a dream of an atheist man that he knew who had died, I think, within the week. Within a week after this neighbor acquaintance man who was a, a loudly professing atheist, uh, within a week or so of his death, Henry Gruber had a dream. And in the dream, this man that he knew, who was an atheist, is standing at the gate of heaven in front of the, the pearl gate of the New Jerusalem. And he's dumbfounded, staring at it, up at the mountain in the city. He says, huh, it is real. And so he just traipses on in through the gate, like, huh, okay, well, I didn't believe in this, but here it is. And Henry's watching from the outside in his dream, vision, and the man takes three steps through the gate and begins to writhe like he's on fire. And he's screaming and ripping his clothes off. And he begins to scream, unclean, unclean. And he turns around and runs and dives off the edge into the pit of hell, screaming unclean all the way down. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who can dwell with everlasting burnings? And then Isaiah answers their question for them. Hey, hypocrites, it's he who walks righteously and speaks what is right and rejects unjust profit and keeps his hand from accepting bribes, who stops his ears against plots of murder and shuts his eyes against contemplating evil. Again, rejects unjust profit and keeps his hand from accepting bribes. Let's just say that as makes no unrighteous decision because of money. Yeah? We do what is right 
even if it's going to cost us money or time, or if we're going to not profit from it, we do it anyway. Who stops his ears against plots of murder and shuts his eyes against contemplating evil. There's your screen again. It's pretty quiet in this Baptist church this morning. Shuts his eyes and does not contemplate evil. Of course, in the literal sense, it means you don't make plans for evil. But contemplate means think about, meditate on, watch. All right, we'll keep moving. This is the man who will dwell on the heights. Well, who's the man? The man who does what is right, who speaks what is right, who shuts his eyes from evil, who doesn't make decisions on how they will profit him, but what is right. This is the man who will dwell on the heights. What heights is that? Heavenly Mount Zion, where the temple of God and the garden of God is. Whose refuge will be the mountain stronghold. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches afar. Look upon Zion, the city of celebration. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful home, and it will be a place of broad rivers and streams. Amen. Amen. So the good news is, the good news, gospel is good news, the good news is no one here qualifies. Thanks, God. You asked a question and told us how to answer it, and then you would find out we've all failed. No one here qualifies. We are all bound for the lake of fire. But there is one man who qualified. There is one man who made it all the way to the top. Who did perfectly do what is right. Who never made a decision based on how it would profit himself. Who never aligned himself with the hypocrites. Who never did anything for political power or popularity. Who never, ever did anything crooked or evil or wicked. And his mouth and his eyes and his hands and his heart were clean. And he climbed a mountain. And he made it to the top. And he went through the door of the temple. And he walked across the floor of that arena. And he crossed the sea of glass. And he stood in front of the throne of God. And he put his own blood on the altar that is there. And he did not die. Because it was a perfect sacrifice. He entered the sphere of the holiness of God. A human man entered the sphere of the holiness of God and did not die because he was perfect. He qualified in every respect and every word of who may climb that mountain. And he issues an invitation to us, come to me and I will receive you. Come to me, I am the door into everlasting life. I am the door into eternity. I am the way and the truth and the life. He is the one who with his own blood qualifies us to live in the presence of God. To be able to sing the songs we sang this morning. We have no right, we have no legal right to sing those songs except for the blood of Jesus. We dare not join that song or we will die. But we didn't. (laughs) Because his blood has 
that fountain of blood has washed away every guilty stain. If you have not asked Jesus to forgive your sin and be your Lord, we would love to introduce you this morning. We would love to pray with you, the person that brought you, or the friend you're here with, or visiting, or, or you come on up and talk to me. Um, I would be honored to uh, introduce you to my Lord and my friend. The Lord and friend of most everybody here, but maybe there's somebody here that you haven't made that decision. Trust me, he's good. We know him and he's good. And he's welcoming and it doesn't matter what we have done, he will forgive us. And he will make us qualified to live in the presence of God. To live in the city of God, on the mountain of God, in the throne room of God. Amen?